Good evening, everyone. Guys, my name is Danny, and I am the campus pastor here at Mosaic at WW. I have been out the last couple weeks. Um, Allie and I took the kiddos on vacation to rural Pennsylvania, because, you know, that's what we do. And uh, we got to hang out with family and friends um, traveling from Hong Kong, and it was just the best. We had such a just such a wonderful time. Our days were made up of throw, a lot of throwing rocks into the stream, um, having sword fights with sticks that usually ended in somebody crying, and um, uh, and eating like some of the world's best pizza. It's like internationally recognized pizza in the middle of a town that has about 600 residents in it. It's like incredible pizza. If you ever find yourself in Emporium, Pennsylvania, I'll give you more details, okay? All right. Um, so yeah, so that's been the last two weeks for us. It was so good, so refreshing, but I'm super excited to be back, um, with you all tonight. Um, over the last, if you were here last week, unlike me, then you were here when we were exploring Paul's call to that in every aspect of our lives, including in our, in the home and in our workplaces, that everything about us should allow the gospel to reshape our understanding of those realities. So often we want to make the scriptures agree with our beliefs and our thoughts rather than allowing the truths of God's desires for us to shape our thoughts and our beliefs. Now, tonight we will continue the journey with Paul as Paul is moving towards the conclusion of the letter we've been in, the book of Colossians, with some final instructions on a multitude of different topics. But specifically tonight, we're going to be talking about prayer. Now, when you think about prayer or persevering in prayer, maybe you're like me. Maybe you tend to underestimate prayer. Every night um, when Ali Ali or I are putting Asher to bed, we'll hold him in our arms and we'll um, rock him back and forth. And as we're doing that, we we will spend time praying over him and we'll pray for his future. We'll pray that that God would have wonderful plans in store for him, that there would be things that would delight God's heart. Um, We pray that he would come to know and follow after Jesus. We um, we, We pray for every aspect of his life now and into the future. But even with that, as, as sweet as that image probably sounds, I still, in that moment, can so often think, does this even make a difference sometimes? Like, yeah, I'm doing this thing, but am I just going through the motions? Or do I really believe that me praying over my son will have any type of actual impact on his life today or into the future? Now, in our world, typically when prayer is discussed, it can be viewed as either a last resort or a spiritual caveat. For example, um, think of the classic scenario on, uh, on like ER or any um, doctor television show back in the day. And the surgeon comes out and says, we've done all we can. All that's left to do is pray. Yeah, yeah not a trick question. Yeah, like that idea though, right? Like, like, well, we did all that we could do, so I guess we'll trust God now. You know, like that idea. Or the, I thought of another idea of the spiritual caveat is if you, maybe you've had a friend who came to you with something super weighty that was on their shoulders and, they, and they're like telling you, they're unloading all of this stuff to you and you're like, what do I say? And you're like, I'll pray for you about that. Because like you don't know what else to say. That like sounds spiritual enough, so you're good with that. But then like whatever that thing was, you kind of probably forgot to actually pray over that thing if, if you're me. Um, because... Prayer is seen almost as secondary or as a scapegoat. 
See, prayer can be difficult to see the importance of persisting in for a multitude of reasons. But there are two main reasons that kind of came to my mind as I was prepping this message. The first is we live in a very self-reliant culture. We live very self-reliant lives. For example, when, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, pray something like this. Part of his prayer says, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Now, that obviously comes out of a place of, of need, of needing God's provision in his intervention. But whether it's the literal or metaphorical bakery, you can go to a bakery and pick one of a thousand different baked goods, right? So we don't need to really ask God for what we could provide for ourselves. We live in a very self-reliant culture. So prayer can, can seem relatively unimportant compared to my own abilities to fill, fix my own problems. And so we ask the question, what real effect can prayer have on my life or on the lives of others around me? So we can be self-reliant. The other version that, um, that I often hear in Christian circles is we believe, in, we believe the beautiful truth of God's sovereignty. This idea that God is already aware of in directing the ultimate outcomes of what happens in the cosmos. But when we can take that as a place, then, well, if God already knows what's going to happen, then why should I talk to him about it? So then we go to the same question. So what real effect can prayer have on my life or on the lives of others around me? Now, if you're like me, you can struggle with that question for either or both of those reasons from time to time. But tonight, we're going to be looking at Paul's encouragement to this church in Colossae as he offers an answer to this question. What real effect can prayer have on my life or on the life of those around me? So we've been in Colossians chapter 4. If you want to open up your Bibles, Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. I will be reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, if you have a digital Bible, just so that it makes it a little bit easier to kind of follow along. So we're going to start in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So let's start there. So he starts, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, is it worth noting that our world seems to be filled like increasingly more with crazy as each day passes by? And it feels though like there is less and less control. Yeah, isn't that what we want more than anything else? We want to control what happens in our lives and in our world. We, and it's scary when it feels like we have lost control. That's like the epitome of 2020, right? It was a loss of control. And it's scary, it's not fun losing control, yet we fight endlessly to bring it back into our control, or at least where it feels like we have that level of control. Now, not, not to dismiss the actual importance of us actively engaging in our world and being intentional in our lives, but Paul doesn't encourage this church to be steadfast in figuring life out on their own terms, right? What does he encourage them to continue steadfastly in prayer? Not figuring it out on their own ability, not getting it where they are feeling comfortable to continue steadfast in prayer. Notice he doesn't say start praying steadfastly. He said, continue praying this way. Why? Because it matters. And in a world that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, we have connection through prayer to the one who has a vantage point that is far different than ours. He has the bird's eye view when we are living in the weeds. 
He sees everything. I grew up in California, um, the state that I will still to this day call the most beautiful state in the nation. Um, If you disagree with me, how many times has Disney opened a park about whatever state you're from? Um, (laughs) Disney's California Adventure, though, you know. Um, All right, I'll keep going, though, if I didn't isolate everyone else that wasn't from California. All right. Now, I grew up fishing in the beautiful rivers and lakes of California. I grew up hiking around um, Yosemite National Park. I grew up snowboarding in the Sierra Nevadas. I grew up going and hanging out and exploring these beautiful historic old cities. I grew up going on walks on the beach. And I grew up watching the sunset happen over the Pacific Ocean. See, it is pretty cool, right? Yeah, it's a cool state. But I only ever experienced California from my own limited vantage point of a human kid on land. Until Disney's California Adventure did open up. And they opened up a ride called Soarin' Over California. And all those things I just mentioned, you could actually watch from a, from a different vantage point, right? From a hang glider. And at the age of like eight or nine, whatever I was back then, like I wasn't exactly in hang gliding mode then or ever since then, up till now. Um, but... All of a sudden, I was able to see California from above, and it was breathtaking. And all I could think of was, this is where I live? I remember thinking that as a kid, like just being like, how cool of a place do I live that I get to experience this? Like, this is my reality. And it was a perspective that I could not receive until I had been there intentionally on this ride, because Up until today, I still cannot fly. I don't have wings. I've never been a bird. So by riding this attraction, I was able to intentionally able to see a different perspective than I would naturally be able to have access to. And it was beautiful. And when we pray, we are connecting to the creator of the cosmos. Let me say that again. When we pray, we are connecting to the creator of the cosmos. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that more fascinating than we typically will give that credit for? If we truly believe that it matters, if we truly believe that that is what prayer actually is and that it's not just self-affirmations and it's not just thinking positive thoughts, if we actually believe that what the scriptures say, that it is us connecting to God, we are connecting to him. We're connecting to him. And that, that's significant. We're connecting to the one who is yet to be surprised in the history of humanity. We are connecting to the one who knows the amount of hairs on your head, the amount of uh, sand on the seashore, the one who exists in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. The one who is present in every moment, and we have access to him. Now, if you're like me, you can often think of prayer as a have to or a should do, but how often do you take the time, do, I take, do we take the time to see the opportunity that we have been given to communicate with him? See, our world, it's unpredictable and uncontrollable, yet we can communicate with our father who cares deeply about what happens in the lives of his kids and their place in the world. So Paul's encouragement is to continue steadfastly, to, in other words, to not lose ground in Prayer, And as we do, we open ourselves up to the one who has a perspective far beyond our own. 
We communicate with the one who is able to do immeasurably more than what we could possibly think, dare, ask for, or imagine. So that is the call, that we are called to continue steadfastly in prayer. But then he continues from there, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So being watchful in steadfast prayer. Now, being watchful, that term is a reoccurring theme of Paul's writings and all the writings in the, in the New Testament. Because Paul and the other writers wanted the church to be aware, to be awake, to be watchful for a few things, to the realities of what was happening in their culture and in their world around them. To be aware, though, not just to that, but also to the spiritual realities that were at play around them as well. But not only that, but also to be looking forward to, to be, to be awake to the reality that Jesus is going to one day return. And when he does, it's going to be epic. So they should be awake. They should be watchful. They should be ready for that moment and living as if that moment could happen any time because it could. So that was Paul's call. So when he is saying to be watchful in this kind of prayer, that's what he's getting at. He wants them to be watchful in all of these beautiful ways. Now, this idea of being watchful in prayer, prayer counteracts two temptations towards watchfulness. The first, if he is calling us to be watchful, then the temptation is probably to be unwatchful or asleep. Now, that kind of makes sense, right, what that is. And maybe, maybe that's your temptation, that you're tempted to really not pay attention to what's happening in our world, not really like even considering what are the spiritual ramifications of what's happening around us, not really dreaming about the return of Jesus or even, even thinking about what that would mean or what that could look like. So we can be asleep. But I would argue the, the more dangerous one is this, when we are watchful, but when we are watchful in our own wisdom and understanding. Here's what I mean by that. I desire to be aware of what is happening in our world. So I stay pretty up to date on what's happening in the news cycle, in our culture, in our world, and in the church around the globe. But the difference between simply being watchful and being watchful in prayer is that in prayer, we realize that we are connecting with the creator. And again, his vantage point is far different than our vantage point. So when we go to him, we actually interact with his perspective. And at best, at our best, we can receive that clarity from him on what that should do in the world around us. We have access to his perspective. See, being watchful on our own wisdom and in our own understanding will most likely lead us to two, one of two things or both, to hopelessness or to bitterness. And here's what I mean by that. Whether it has been watching the cultural shifts in our, in our country over the last couple of years, within the church right now, within political movements and social movements, or for me personally, as I've continued to watch the numbers of, of severe persecution happening around the globe towards brothers and sisters, it's scary. And what that can do, though, is if we are not connecting that with prayer, if we are being watchful without being prayerful, without looking to what is God's perspective on what's happening, it can lead us to hopelessness is one option. Like being on Jesus' side may not, like we bet on the wrong horse, right? Like maybe Jesus isn't gonna win this whole thing. Hopelessness or bitterness. This is where we begin to make the enemies. We begin to make enemies of the Republicans or the Democrats of elected officials, of systems of government, 
of fascism or communism, of the media, of social media companies, of whoever, whatever your flavor is. Whoever you, when I said the word enemy, if you're like, oh, but don't, it probably doesn't mean this person. It probably does mean that person or that group of people or that whatever. When I was um, living in China a few years ago, I was working at an international church and I was talking to our lead pastor because he was remarkable at being able to build relationships across the spectrum of, uh, across the spectrum of culture in Shanghai. And so he had a lot of connections with um, local party officials of the Communist Party and, um, gov- and um, the local government as well. But at the same time, he had a lot of, he did a lot of discipling and equipping for um, underground and pers- uh, the underground church throughout China. And I remember talking with him about how he can reconcile that because I really struggled knowing that this government had been so oppressive for the last 70 years towards those, uh, specifically to those who follow Jesus, but also those um, of other um, social minorities. And that was really hard because I just started like getting really bitter in my heart towards the communist party. Like, do you know what they did here? And I asked him about it and, and he said, you know, it takes a constant reminder that the enemy is not them. All of humanity is deceived. Every single one of us can be tempted towards deception by a spiritual enemy. And of course, they don't know Jesus. And that was a huge reminder for me that even what I would consider one of the one of the most brutal regimes, they're not the enemy. You hear that? They're not the enemy. So whoever we can paint as the enemy is not the enemy because instead in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is the true enemy. It is not human beings. Period. Doesn't matter who just came to your mind. According to the scriptures, that's not the true enemy. Because all humanity is by definition imperfect, flawed, and liable to be deceived. And that changes everything. And when we are in this space, when we are watchful in prayer... We are awake to this reality and we allow the truth of the gospel to saturate our minds that we would do what Jesus actually called us to do. You know, that thing where he said to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Like that's bold, right? But that's the call. And for those of us who follow Jesus, that changes everything. It's a mind shift. And this is what happens when we are watchful in prayer. See, being watchful in prayer is meant to lead us to seeing our culture with the eyes of truth and grace, with compassion and clarity. Because there is not a culture that has ever existed in the history of humanity that is perfect, that is perfectly epitomized the way of Jesus. With hope that Jesus wins, even when it looks like the enemy has the upper hand in the story. Even when it looks like defeat is imminent. We are called to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. See, thanksgiving is a continuation of this story. 
Because when we are connecting it to thanksgiving, we grow to a prayerful response to this world that is filled with faith. That even when things aren't looking ideal, that we know that we can trust who God is, his nature, who he is and what he has planned, what his desires are, and that he ultimately wins. And it should lead us not towards bitterness or hopelessness, but gratitude that no matter how dark or confusing the day or the night might get, we are connected to the one who even in the darkest moment sees with absolute clarity. Because our world is always in flux, but the character of God is always resolute. And within the scriptures, we discover the character of God. That's why it's so important that we aren't just creating a God that, that is palatable to us, that, that, that just fits with whatever we presently believe, but that we are searching the scripture to discover who is this God, that he is sovereign, that he is deep, that the fact that he has such deep love, that he has this gentle and lowly heart towards sinners and sufferers, that his justice is always for the hurting. His power, his passion, his holiness, his majesty. This is just the tip of the iceberg to the character of God. And the pages of the Bible are our opportunity to discover what God is like and who he says we are. Now, that's specifically why I love the Psalms. Because within the Psalms, the Psalms are meant to be Prayers between different individuals towards God, and they often speak of the immeasurable character of God and who and who they are praying to, and they are receiving those as reminders of His faithfulness. And in the last year, it's been it's been a really difficult season in my life, in a number of different ways. And Psalm one thirty nine is a particular psalm that's all been always super meaningful to me because it's about God's nearness to His people. So good. On Easter, Ali and I got Asher as part of his Easter basket, um, a, a book. It's a paraphrase for kids of Psalm 139. And, um, and it's super good. Um, and as I've been reading it to Asher, though, it has been just such a strong reminder of God's character. So I thought I would share it with you guys tonight. It's called Near, Psalm 139. We have graphics up here. <laughs> God is my father who made everything and I am a little explorer of the wide world. He is near me and he protects me. He sees me and he knows me. He is strong and he looks after me. He is with me always. However far I go, he is always near me. I could climb the biggest mountain. I could fly to the highest star. I could dive into the deepest sea. I could sail far, far away to the North Pole and God would still be there. I could trek through jungles, ride through deserts, zoom as fast as light and God would still be there. Even in the dark at night, he is still with me there. He stays close to me and he won't ever leave me because I am his little child and he loves me. Pick up your copy on Amazon. (laughs) Even in the darkest night, he is with me. 
This is the character of our God. For those of us who follow after him, we are his kids. We have been adopted into his forever family and everything has changed in light of that. That we have a dad who knows us and cares for us. And that is good news. So as we pray, we are placing our active trust in the character of God as our dad over the uncertainty of this world. Because the, the world is uncertain. We all agree on that, right? Yeah, for sure. And God's character is not uncertain. It's defined and it's beautiful and it's never changing. Now, Paul continues in verse three and he changed, shifts gears on the type of prayer now. And he says, at the same time, so continue this steadfast prayer, but at the same time, also do this. At the same time, Pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Pause right there. If you were with us when we began the series in the book of Colossians, you might remember that Paul begins by telling them how much he's been praying for these people. Like, I, I, I've never even met most of you, but I am not stopped praying for you that God would do such beautiful things in your midst. But now Paul is letting them know that he wants them to return the favor a little bit, that he wants some of those prayers that they're going to be doing unceasingly to be floating in his direction. What he's calling for is something called intercession. If you've never heard that word, what it means to intercede is to pray on behalf of someone else. And he's asking them to pray on his behalf. And by Paul's desire to state this, it clearly shows that Paul believes that prayer really does matter. But of course, this would be really easy for Paul to say, right? He is chilling in like the ancient Roman equivalent of the four seasons, eating figs, drinking the best wine, just kind of like living it up, living the high life, like probably sitting up in his ivory tower, writing these letters to these churches that are really struggling. But he's like, <laughs> and every once in a while, he'll come down in Rome to, um, uh, to go and argue in really like school, some Greek philosophers. And he like corrects them and they're like, whoa. And then on his way back, he like sees a guy and he's like, you're healed. And the guy's healed. And then he gets back in time for happy hour. I mean, that was Paul's life, right? No, sorry. Um, because what does it say? On account of which I am in prison. Paul's desire for prayer is not out of this otherness that he has experienced where his life is all so awesome and their life is all so crummy. He is saying, things are hard for me too. So would you pray for me? <laughs> Paul was in prison in chains, awaiting his eventual execution under the guise of Emperor Nero. Now, I'm imagining that ancient Roman prisons in Rome were not exactly the most comfortable and probably did not have the best food or drink either. You want to know what I would probably be asking for if, I, if this were me and my flesh? I would say something like this. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open up the door of this prison cell and let me out of here. Like, would you guys agree with that? Like, that kind of makes sense as a decent prayer request. And that, like, you wouldn't even fault the guy for that, right? If that was in there, you'd be like, sounds pretty good. Prison's pretty terrible, especially in the circumstance you are finding yourself in. But notice what Paul is doing. Paul wants prayer for a door to open, but it's not the prayer for the door of the prison cell to open. What is it? Which door is it? A door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That is the door that he wants open. The door for him to be able to present 
the beauty of the gospel, the mystery of Christ in the midst of their circumstances. Oftentimes, um, I would hear when living or visiting China that um, the perse- that persecuted Christians often are very rarely ask for prayers for alleviation from the persecution. Not that they wouldn't take it if it happened, but they're not, they're not asking for prayer that the forced labor camps would cease, that their churches would stop being raided, that, they would, that spies would stop being sent into the midst of their gathering to sell out families and, bi- and business owners so that those could be destroyed or torn apart. That's not typically their call or their ask for prayer. They ask for prayer that through persecution, they would remain faithful in their obedience and clear in their gospel message. Paul was not special. Our brothers and sisters in persecution, like Paul, believed that prayer really does matter. In fact, Paul's entire life is hedged on that. Right now, there are millions of Christians around the globe whose lives are hedged on that reality right now. He knew, Paul knew that his life was not in his own hands, but that God can use even the most broken and the most unjust of situation to be used as a gospel opportunity. But Paul was not special. Any more than any other follower of Jesus is special. We're special. He was beloved, just as we are beloved. He was given gifts by the Spirit of God, just as we have been given gifts by the Spirit of God. He has been equipped just as we have been equipped. So don't be tempted by the, well, but like Paul's like a spiritual juggernaut, right? Like he wrote a lot of the Bible, like that whole argument, irrelevant in this. See, Paul was an imperfect yet called son of God, simply writing letters to other imperfect yet called sons and daughters of God asking that they would lean into communicating with God steadfastly, continuing on, not losing ground on his behalf as well as their own. That is Paul's call, that they would bring clarity to the beauty of the gospel, which is what he gets at, where we'll finish up tonight in verse four, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul's even asking, giving a very specific prayer request that he wants to communicate the gospel with a specific level of clarity. So specifically, Paul desires that their prayers would not be wasted on unclear communication. That Paul wanted his fellow prisoners, his, the guards, the overseas, even Emperor Nero himself to hear about the beautiful mystery of Jesus and be captivated, that they would surrender their lives to the beauty of the gospel. The truth that the one true God pursues after humanity no matter our brokenness, no matter the flaws, no matter the hurts, no matter the scars. And even though it would require him sending his own son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to, do, to die the death of, that our brokenness deserved so that we could live the life that we could never have deserved. So that we would return to his covenant family to be ambassadors for his kingdom to live is loved, to reveal that love, that good news to everyone else around us. Paul wanted clarity to be able to communicate winsomely and clearly that gospel message. Now, isn't that interesting though? I mean, Paul, he has probably preached the gospel thousand plus times, right? Yet he is asking for prayer that he would be able to clearly communicate it. 
You think if anybody had ever got like the, the best way to communicate it down, it would be him. Yet he is still asking for help so that their prayers would assist him in being able to communicate the beauty of the gospel. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been thinking about the implications of that for my life and for our life as a church. I've been thinking about how silly am I to not ask for your partnership for, for me and for our teaching team as we proclaim the gospel from the stage each week. How silly are we when we don't reach out with a quick text to, a, to our friends or to our discipleship group asking for partnership to be a faithful gospel presence and gospel voice to our workplace? How silly is the church when we forget that we have access to the king of the cosmos and we have his ear attentively and we forget to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Over the last few weeks, I have just begun to scratch the surface of what it means to truly understand the heart of Jesus through prayer. And as I've been doing it, I'll tell you, it's been as sporadic as a roller coaster. But in those sweet moments when it actually happens, when I'm, when I'm truly being watchful in prayer, I've been captivated by the character of the God of the Bible, his character, his beauty, his love that he loves us so much and that we can be transformed by that love and that we have the opportunity to not just do that in inner soul work, but then we can also now intercede on behalf of those around us. This is why I'm just so excited that Amy Quo has stepped into the, the space of leading our charge as a church that we would grow and as a church that intercedes on behalf of one another. A couple of week weeks ago, she even led a prayer and worship night as we began to dive into that space. Super exciting. And I'm just, so, I'm just so hopeful that this would become a part of what we do for one another, that we know that when somebody in this community says, I'll pray for you on that, it's not gonna just be a saying or a spiritual caveat. It's gonna be the heartfelt truth. See, prayer is not necessarily a spiritual rhythm that comes easiest for me. Maybe you're like me and you identify as Doug from up, right? Like you start praying and then squirrel, like that whole mentality. But I have seen the beauty and the richness that comes through remaining steadfast in prayer. And when I get a window into the beautiful perspective of God, it changes everything. And I want more of that in my life. What about you? Imagine if this was what was said to be true about our community and the church in our country and the church around the globe, that we had genuine heartfelt love for one another and we displayed that in the way we prayed for one another. Imagine if we saw ourselves within this passage and honestly desired to draw near to Jesus through prayer. Um, if we became a people who are watchful in prayer, not watchful in our own wisdom and insight and not, and not just flat out asleep, but we were watchful in prayer, with thanksgiving. I'd imagine we'd be well-equipped to be able to love God and to love people. So I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band to come on up right now. And normally, um, we're gonna do something a little bit different tonight. Um, when the band gets up here, um, Eric's gonna lead us into a time of guided prayer. Um, it's gonna be, it's gonna hopefully be, um, Hopefully you'll find it to be very helpful and beautiful as we pray the words of scripture. So right now I'm going to pray a prayer of intercession. And I would just ask that as you are praying that just in your heart that you would just 
give a hearty amen, that you would just agree in your heart as I intercede for the church around the globe. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you first and foremost that you are who you say you are, that you are knowable and that you are real and that you are active in our world, that you are not distant, that you are near, that you do not leave us in the dark, that you come to bring light into the darkest moments in our lives. So Lord, I pray tonight with my brothers and sisters in this room online for the church around the globe, for the persecuted Christians in countries that most of us probably can't even pronounce the name of. From North America, Europe, South America, Asia, Australia, Africa, that every corner of the globe where that the church would just radiate your beauty in the midst of the trials and of life and the things that are normal and just regular parts of good old fashioned planet death and the parts that are just uniquely difficult in their local context, the isolation, the persecution, the threats, all of that. Lord, I pray on behalf of your church, Lord, that you would remember them and be near to them even right now. That in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the difficulty, they would be a faithful gospel witness and that we would learn from their example. That we would learn as they are steadfast in you. So Lord, keep them steadfast in prayer. Keep us steadfast in prayer. Lord, we need you more than we know. You are good, you are kind, and you are capable of more than we could imagine. So Lord, we need you. You are good, you are faithful. Be with your kids. And God's people said, amen.